Hello, I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. We're a church seeking to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Life FM for continuing to host us. Today, as we look to God's Word, our reading is John 12, verse 36 to verse 43. So you can begin looking that up now. This sermon was recorded live at Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church. After reading the passage, we'll hear the children's talk. So, if you have children, make sure they're listening. Then we'll go to the sermon. So let's read John 12, 36 to 43. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, Who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes, and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And now it's over to the children's talk. Hello, everyone. Now, who can tell me what have we been learning as we've been going through John? Hannah? That's right. Can the grown-ups do it? Have the grown-ups learned this as well? What's John about? John wants us to know and believe Jesus is king. Good job. And while we've been looking at John, we've met a special friend. And his name is... Albert. Albert. That's right. Albert, our blue duck friend. And you can you guess... What exciting thing happened at school this past week? Ellie. They were giving out chocolate. They were giving out chocolate. How could you possibly guess? Albert had done something so good, so amazing. He had gotten every single question right on his test. And he was the only one in the class who got to do that, or who managed to do that. And so he got given a choice. And his teacher said, all right, Albert, do you want a picnic bar or do you want a dream bar? Mm. Do you guys know what dream is? That's white chocolate. And picnic, it's sort of normal milk chocolate, but it's got some peanuts and caramel in there as well. What do you think Albert should choose? Kai. You reckon the picnic? Well, do you know? Guess what? All of his friends, all of his friends, here's Bluey, here's a little dog who's, I don't know what his name is, and here's Berta, the bee, and here's Lindy, the ladybug. They all were chanting out, take the picnic, take the picnic, take the picnic. And Albert... He was feeling a bit uncomfortable about all of this because he really likes his friends. But guess what? 
Well, it's not just that he doesn't like peanuts. He's allergic to peanuts. And he's allergic to cocoa. And so he can't have picnic or he'll get really sick. Now, there's no cocoa in in drink. He could have this. But if he had the picnic, he's sort of choosing to be really sick and something really bad could happen to him. But he's hearing his friends go, take the picnic, take the picnic. Now, what do you think he should choose? Now that you know that picnic would actually be really bad for him, yeah, Patrick, what do you think? He he should have this one. Yeah, the white chocolate one. Because if he chooses the picnic like his friends want him to, he's going to get sick and maybe need to go to the hospital. But if he has this, then it'll all be fine. And so the question is, is he going to do what he knows is the proper, right, safe thing to do? Or is he going to choose the dangerous thing? Because that's what his friends want him to do. Now, do you know, John, Albert's been reading through John in the morning. Before he goes to school, he's been reading through John. And he read the passage that Jeff just read for us. Jeff was right there reading a bit of John's Gospel. And we heard and and Albert read about some people who were making a choice. And it was a very serious choice. Like Albert's choice between choosing a picnic and a dream is actually a really serious choice, these leaders of God's people, they had a choice to make as well. The question was, were they going to choose Jesus or were they going to reject Jesus? And they're tossing and turning and trying to work out, what am I going to do? But they've got all these people. Now, Albert's friends are are lovely normally. They don't know that he's allergic to picnics. But these leaders, there are these other people over here called the Pharisees who are saying, we hate Jesus. And if you like Jesus, you're not going to be allowed to come along to church. And so these leaders were wondering, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to side with Jesus? Or are we going to side with them? And guess what they chose? Do you know what they chose? What? Ellie? They did. They did. They chose to reject Jesus. They went along with the Pharisees over here. And do you know, that's as if they were Albert choosing to eat a picnic. That's not good news, is it? Now, we all have the choice to make. Just like Albert had a choice to make, and just like those leaders have a choice to make, John wants us to know and believe that Jesus is king. We need to decide, are we going to follow Jesus as our king, or are we going to reject him? One way leads to life. The other way leads to death. Okay, So let's pray, and I'm going to pray that each one of you will be wise like Albert was because Albert chose 
the dream. He chose the white chocolate. So let's pray, and I'm going to pray that you will be wise like Albert. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he came to save us, and I pray for each of these kids and for each of these grown-ups that we would all be choosing Jesus, that we would be trusting in him, remembering that he is the king. We pray that you would save us through him and his cross. In Jesus' name, amen. But now let's come and let's pray to our God as we come to his word. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we rejoice again that you have given us your word. But we know that these things are spiritually discerned, that the natural man cannot understand. And so we pray that you would help us by your spirit. Give us the wisdom we need to truly hear your word, to understand your word, and to obey your word. Lord, lift our eyes to Jesus, our King, we pray. Amen. Well, have you ever felt frustrated because someone can't see what is right in front of them? I imagine that most married women have this trouble with their husband. I am hearing yeses. Yes. He's there standing at the fridge. The door's open. He's looking for a jar. He's looking for a packet of bacon. And he just cannot see it. Maybe it's under something. And if he just had the initiative, he'd lift up that packet of cheese and see it. Or maybe it's right there, front and centre, and it takes you coming over and grabbing it before he realises that that is exactly what he is looking for. It's known as the man look, isn't it? And sometimes we have an excuse. Sometimes there is an excuse. The packaging has changed since the last time that we saw it. You didn't say it was under something. You just said it was there right in front. But there are other times where there is legitimately no excuse. Our eyes just didn't see what was right in front of us. And you might ask how it's possible. And I don't know. I'm sure there is some scientific explanation for this. Or... Maybe it's a conspiracy of the patriarchy to annoy our wives. There's a meeting every month. Ladies, you'll never know. But in this passage in John, as Jesus' public ministry starts to draw to a close, there are people who can't see Jesus, who don't recognise him for who he is. And we have to ask, why? They've been waiting for him for hundreds, thousands of years, way back to the start of the Bible in Genesis 3, where God promised that one day there would come the seed of the woman who would crush the serpents, the head of the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. So why couldn't they see him? 
Why wouldn't they recognise him when he was right there in front of them? And we can personalise that question and ask, why won't my family recognise Jesus for who he is? My friends, my husband, my wife. As we see this rejection of Jesus, John is making an appeal to us, his reader. This crowd refused to see Jesus and believe. And so John is urging us, see Christ's glory. See Christ's glory and believe. So let's look at verses 36 to 41, our first heading, where we see people rejecting Jesus' glory. Verse 36. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Now, what had he said? Last week, we read that he said that he's going to be glorified. He's going to the cross. And we're to follow him to be saved, to serve him. We're to walk while we have the light and not let the darkness overtake us. And here's their opportunity. The light of the world is right there in front of them, urging them to follow him. He's going to die to save them. Will they give up everything for him? He makes this incredible, challenging call, and then he leaves. He's just about finished with his public ministry. The last bit of teaching that he'll do is that those last few verses in John 12, which we'll look at on Good Friday. But why? Why does he hide himself? Because, verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Jesus has turned water into wine. He has healed people, even a man who was born blind. He fed a crowd with a boy's lunch. He raised Lazarus from the dead and Lazarus was still walking around. And despite all that, they didn't believe. How is that possible? How could these miracles not convince them? There's a brand of Christianity out there which thinks that miracles are meant to shock people from their unbelief. They're there to grab attention, showing people that, that God is real so that they will listen to you and maybe be more likely to believe in Jesus. I wonder, have you ever been to a church like that where there's this high expectation for miracles? Miracles in these churches become this regular occurrence to to make the gospel more believable. They'll tell stories of sore backs being healed and headaches gone and great gospel conversations afterwards. They'll get famous miracle workers to come to a special church meeting and and the sick should come and, and receive healing. There are courses offered to help you tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. I notice they don't go to the hospitals, but still you can come and you can learn. But the purpose of miracles in the Bible isn't simply to grab attention. 
They show who God is, who Jesus is. They teach. Jesus is the bread of life and he gave bread to the 5,000 plus. Jesus is the light of the world and he gave sight to the blind. He is the resurrection and the life and he raised Lazarus from the dead. John tells us why he recorded these signs. In chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, these signs are evidence of Jesus' claims. They're not there just to show that he has power. They're not there to draw attention to himself, but they are evidence of who he is and what he came to do. And so why don't the crowd believe? The evidence is right there in front of them and they've been waiting for someone like Jesus for thousands of years. How could they not believe? Because God said this would happen. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 53, the most famous of his servant songs. The the suffering servant is lifted up. His appearance is marred without iniquity on him. And the question is asked, who has believed what he heard from us? The answer? No one. Or at least very few. And then he quotes from Isaiah 6. Isaiah, after seeing the Lord sitting on the throne with the angels around him, uh, declaring his holiness, Isaiah is then sent with a message and told that those people won't believe. And this crowd with Jesus are following their example. God has sent Jesus and they won't believe either. But look at verses 37 and 38 again. It says, They still do not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And in verse 39, Therefore they could not believe. These people had God in the flesh performing miraculous signs right in front of them, and they still couldn't believe it. How corrupt are we that not even that will make us believe? That we need to be given new eyes so that we can see. We need to be raised from spiritual death to life because our nature is so corrupt that we cannot and we will not believe. The crowd saw Christ's glory and couldn't believe. This is what makes our task of evangelism so difficult. So Easter's coming, and our mission is to make disciple-making disciples of Jesus. Like John, we want people to know and believe Jesus is king. And so we, we invite them to church, and we talk about Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so often the people that we're inviting, the people that we're talking to, they don't want to know. They might even say, if they're 
even willing to engage in any sort of conversation, they might say, I'll only believe if God shows himself to me. But he's already done that. He's done that before. In here in John 12, hasn't he? And, and they didn't believe. As we invite people to church for Easter or, or any week, we need to keep these two ideas in mind. First, we are so sinful, so corrupt, that nothing can convince them to turn to Jesus. Nothing can do it. Second, God is so powerful that he can open the eyes of the blind and give them a new heart so that they will believe. If we forget the first, that people are intensely corrupt, we'll be too optimistic. Too optimistic in our evangelism and after one or two rejections, we'll be completely gutted. If we forget the second, that God can change the heart of stone and and give this person a heart of flesh, bring them to new life, if we forget that, then we won't bother to evangelise or we'll only do it out of obligation with no sense of hope, no sense of expectancy. But Isaiah went and he spoke to the people even though he was told that they wouldn't believe. Why? Because in verse 41 it says, he saw Jesus' glory. When did he see that? Right there in his vision in in Isaiah 6, when he saw the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, in the temple, angels declaring his holiness. Sometimes people want to know, well, where in the New Testament does it say clearly that Jesus is God? Well, here's a verse for you. John 12, 41, Jesus there is clearly proclaimed to be God. I had a look at uh, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, quote-unquote, which is a corrupt mistranslation to see what they did with these verses. How did they change it? And I was surprised to see that actually they didn't change the verse. It's exactly like we have it in our Bibles. And so I went to their brief commentary that they have on their website And there they say that it's reasonable to assume that because in Isaiah 6, Jehovah asks who will go for us, that there must have been someone with him, meaning that Jesus was there in his pre-human glory. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Isn't that just another example of people who've seen Christ's glory? and won't believe. They refuse to see that Jesus was there. He was the one on the heavenly throne as God. And we run into people like that all the time, refusing to see the plain truth that there is a God who made the world. His name is Jesus, and he showed his glory. He died on the cross to save us. He rose again, and he sent his church out in the power of the Spirit. But the call in these verses is clear. See Christ's glory and believe. Don't be like this crowd. Believe and keep believing. 
The crowd rejected Jesus' glory in verses 36 to 41. And in our second heading, verses 42 to 43, we see a terrible trade. Verse 42 says the authorities did have a kind of faith in Jesus. They believed the facts about him. They believed at the very least that he was from God. Maybe they even went all the way believing him to be the Son of Man, the Christ. They believed the facts, but they wouldn't put their trust in him. If he was a chair, they'd believe that he was able to hold their weight, but there's no way that they would sit down. They would never lean against him like we might lean against a wall. They've seen Christ's glory and they almost kind of, sort of believe, but they're not really believing. They're worried about what the Pharisees would do, that they would be thrown out of the synagogues. Verse 43, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. This is what the Bible calls the fear of man. When the opinion of others becomes too important, when we base all we are on them and their expectations, when we don't want to ever go against the grain. And we're all tempted. We're all tempted by the fear of man. We know it by different names. Being a people pleaser. uh, Being tempted by peer pressure overly concerned about what others think about you. And it's this very subtle temptation which the evil one throws at us constantly. Give up on Jesus, he whispers in our ear. Otherwise, people will laugh at you and think that you're an idiot. Or they'll hate you and think that you're a bigot. Give up on Jesus and his ways, he whispers to those in politics, or you'll be thrown out of your party. Give up on Jesus, he whispers to those in the media, or you'll never work in the industry again. Give up on Jesus, he whispers, or your family will abandon you. Give up on Jesus and they'll stop their mocking, their attacks. You'll be promoted because you'll be able to fit in better. You'll be celebrated as the one who has seen the light. Give up on Jesus and you'll have friends. But John wants us to know and believe that Jesus is king. In this passage, he wants us to see Christ's glory and believe. He's urging us, don't make a terrible trade. Don't give up on Jesus for what won't last. Everything in this world will rust and be stolen. The love of family will one day end, even if it's not until death. Money disappears with rising interest rates and inflation and bank collapses. But Jesus offers a glory which will never fade. See his glory and believe and you will be forever in his presence, shining like stars in the sky. Not only will you escape the terrors of hell where those who've traded glory from God for glory from man go, forever punished for rejecting the one who gave his life to save sinners, 
But you'll live with the one who loves you and accepts you without you needing to impress him or to do anything for him. All he calls on you to do is to believe, to cast yourself on the one who gave his life for sinners. Give up on your sinful pleasures now so that you can enjoy holy pleasures which will last for eternity. See Christ's glory and believe. Keep trusting in him and call others to do the same. Keep at the hard work of speaking about Jesus. Build relationships with your neighbours. Invite them into your home. Have them over for dinner and invite one or two over from church as well. And let them become friends. And even if no spiritual conversations happen that time, maybe they will in the future as you keep bringing these people together. And they become genuine friends. As our neighbours meet more people, more and more people who, who believe in Jesus and are willing to talk about him as if he is real and important and he matters and that he offers forgiveness and life, as they actually have friendships with Christians, maybe for them it will start to become more plausible. Maybe Maybe there's something to it. Maybe I should check it out. Because they've probably only heard about Christians as being hateful or stupid. But if they're confronted with reality, being with Christians while watching a footy game or going to the movies together or checking out a new restaurant that's opened up, then maybe they'll see that the glory that they've been living for isn't good enough. That there's a glory which God offers to those who believe in his Son. There are plenty of reasons people give for not believing in Jesus. They might think that science explains everything or that all religions are basically the same. They might hate the morality of the Bible and not want to give something up in their lives. Maybe they're scared of what their family will think. It could just be that they can't be bothered about it. If you're not a Christian, I wonder if any of those reasons resonate with you. It'll probably be a long road before they do actually see Christ's glory and believe. And so pray. Pray to the one who can change hearts and spend time with people. Introduce them to more Christians in a natural way and slowly pick away at their objections as you can. Yes, the crowd and the authorities rejected Jesus' glory and made a terrible trade. But turn to the book of Acts and you will see that, uh, that, and you will see that all that can change when the Holy Spirit does his work, he can make blind eyes see, hard hearts soft. See Christ's glory and believe and let's call others to do the same. Let's pray.
our God in heaven. We thank you for your grace to us in Christ, that you have shown us the truth. We pray, our Lord, that you would help us to believe, that you would help us to be trusting in you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to share this good news with others, to show your love to them. Our Lord, by your Spirit, make us obedient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Jesse Walls from Eagle Hawk Presbyterian Church, and I pray you've been blessed as you've spent this time in God's Word. Next week, we'd love to have you join us in person for our service at 10am. I hope to see you there. And as always, if you'd like to make a comment on what you've heard today, you have a question, or you're looking for a church, then please get in contact with us. Our website is eaglehawkpc.org.au. You can also contact us through Facebook or Instagram. God bless you.